So this morning, I'm going to talk about an idea uh, of being exposed. And it's not really a fun topic. Actually, I had something planned uh, a little differently, and I just felt like over the past week and a half, God just moving my heart in a different direction. And so I want to talk the idea about, of being exposed. And it's not something we like. We don't like our hearts to be exposed. We don't like our sin to be exposed. We don't like idols in our hearts to be exposed. Um, we, don't, we don't like to be exposed in general. There's a stat out there that says, Every man or woman over the age of 40 has something in their life that they want nobody else to know about. And I'm not to 40 yet, so in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> no, but it's so true. So Arthur Conan Doyle, he wrote Sherlock Holmes. Um, he came up with that whole idea. He was a prolific literature author and um, writer back in the late 1800s. And this story was in the Washington Post in 1901. He went to dinner with a bunch of his friends and they began to discuss this idea that everybody has skeletons in their closets. And he, that's that was every, every man over the age of 40 has at least one skeleton in their closet they want no one to know about. So they all decided at dinner that night, hey, let's think of one Christian man that we all know that is well acquainted in the community, is in high standing with everybody. Everybody thinks very well of him. Let's pick one man. So they all agreed on one man. And Arthur Conan Doyle sent him a telegram and the telegram said this. It's, this is all it said. It said, all is discovered, flee at once. And didn't say what it was about, who it was from, and nothing. Just all is discovered, flee at once. And at the writing of the uh, article in the Washington Post in June of 1901, that man, when he got the telegram, he packed up his bags that night and hadn't been seen since. And so, and then the, the story is that he tried this with 12 of the most prominent men in England at that time, and all 12 of them packed up their bags and left. And so... That just the idea of being exposed, I wonder what you would come across if somebody sent you a telegram. I know I wouldn't like to get that telegram. I got a, uh, one time, uh, Pastor Steve, uh, I was in a pastor's meeting, and uh, we were sitting there one Tuesday morning, he just looks across the table and goes, I need to talk to you later. Like, oh, man, this is not good. I don't know what it's about, but it is not good. And uh, so I was like, he goes, it's, it's, a, it's not a bad thing. So I was like, hmm, interesting. So in Pastor Steve form, he, uh, he called my, my office the next day, and he said, hey, come down now real quick before you leave. So I come into his office. He shuts the door, and he goes, I'm going to do what many pastors before me have done to me. And when I was single, he goes, I want to talk to you about this girl I know. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this guy. You waited 36 hours to tell me this. Um, <laughs> Not a good thing. But the idea of being exposed, so in, in Scripture, many people have been exposed. The beautiful thing about your sin being exposed is you're not the only one. And I, what comes to mind is a man named David. And we all know this. How many of you guys have heard of the story named David? The story of David? There you go. Anybody? Nobody? Has anybody not heard of David? Because we'll talk about him. Um, David, as you know, God appointed him king when he was just a young man. He waited 30 years. God had finally... Um, appointed him to this position. So he waited on God. He trusted on God in the process. God appointed him. He uh, began to rule and reign over Israel. But as we know, David uh, made a mistake one time, and his army was going out to war, and he decided to stay home. Um, very familiar Bible story. He decided to stay home. Um, as he, one morning, he's w walking out, looking out over his kingdom, and he sees a woman bathing. He lusts after her. He calls her in. He sleeps with her. He finds out she's married to another man. She comes to him a month later and says, hey, I ha I'm, I'm carrying your baby. And David's sin right there 
He's confronted with his choices that he's made. He's confronted with sin in his heart that he has covered up for the past month. And um, he has a decision to make. And his decision is, do I admit the wrong I've done and confess my sin and let the, con- the earthly consequences of sin take their toll? Or do I try to cover it up? He tries to cover it up. And he manipulates his way and trying to manipulate his way to make it seem like it was her husband. Uh, Actually, his manipulation didn't work out, so he kills her husband, as we know. And he continues to uh, hide his sin. Years later, uh, one of his good friends, a prophet of God, Nathan, comes to him and begins to tell him this story of um, this rich man that had all the blessings of God on his life and he stole from a poor, he stole a lamb from the only lamb a poor man had and he killed it and he used it for his party. And um, it was just basically his parable he's telling David and David gets enraged and David says, that man deserves to pay the consequences for his sin. And I, actually I was reading this story and I'm thinking, like how many times do I do that? Like how, how many times do I, it's so easy for me to get so mad, get on my cultural war boots and get my cultural war helmet and get mad at people's sin and other people's sin and that I know of. And I, I fail to call out the sin in my own life. So David, David has the unfortunate task of uh, listening to Nathan and David's not even aware that Nathan's even talking about him. So I'm going to pick up in Second uh, Samuel 7 where he comes 2 Samuel 12, sorry, verse 7. 2 Samuel 12. So Nathan tells him this whole story. And David's enraged. And Nathan has the um, unfortunate task as a man of God to say, Nathan says to David in verse 7, you are the man. He says, you're the man that had all the blessings of God on your life and you decided to steal from somebody else what God had rightfully given them. And you had no bad feelings about it and you tried to cover it up over the past couple years. And he says, thus says the Lord. So Nathan is speaking now for God. And he says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And this were too little. I would add to you as much more. So basically he's saying, hey, I've get, look how much takes this is what Thanksgiving is about. Take, take a step back. Look at what all God has given you, all the blessings of God on your life. Look what he's given you. And he says, even if that wasn't enough, which it was, he said, even if that wasn't enough, I will give you that much more. I will give you so much more if that wasn't enough because that's what God wants to do for his children. He wants to give us good things. And the, the unfortunate thing about sin is that it is, always is trying to destroy us and it's stealing from us the blessings of God on our life. And God's 10 commandments, his commandments in scripture are, are not harmful things that God is not keeping good things from you. The only reason why God gives you rules is because we know, he knows we trend towards things that destroy us. And he says, hey, if you just stay inside my bounds, you will receive the maximum amount of blessing and joy, satisfaction that you can possibly imagine on this planet Earth if you just stay inside my rules. But our natural bent of our heart is to reach outside of that, right? Our natural, our natural bent is when somebody tells us not to do something, we'll do it anyways because we just want to do it. And so, that's the, and so David did this, and that's what Nathan is saying to him, and Verse 9, he says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? 
You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Nathan, Nathan doesn't really sugarcoat the sin. He just calls it out. He says, look at what all God's given you and then look what you've done. And he's a man of God. He's a, um, a friend of David. David trusts him and David knows him and, he's, and, and so he's able to expose the sin in his life. He doesn't like sugarcoat it. It's so interesting that our hearts do this. We like to um, like just, so for instance, I was praying the other day and um, I was just asking the Lord to reveal things in my life. And he, I don't consider myself an angry person. I just don't. And he was like, you have anger in your life. And, and I'm still in the process of figuring out where that's from. But besides the point, I was like, no way, not me. Um, I only get angry when I play FIFA. And he says, you know, and God's like, no, you have anger in your life. That's, that's an expression of the root of your anger. And so it's just little things. God can reveal sin in your life. And it's like, no, but no. And so I'm a perfectionist. I'm OCD. And, he, and so this is like a problem because it, it, it can be used for a good thing. But when God reveals it in my life, I'm like, no, but it's a good thing. Like, that's why, that's why I've been successful is because this, 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 and this is, you know, and he's like, no, you're, you're perfectionist and you're a control freak and that's a problem. And so we like to sugarcoat the sin and God's not in the business of sugarcoating our sin, unfortunately. And that's not a good thing for me either. So if it's not a good thing for you, we're in the same boat. Um, so he doesn't sugarcoat the sin. He just calls it out. And this is what he says in verse 10. Here's the earthly consequences for David's sin. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. You have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up all evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did this in secret but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. So here's the reality is God is in the business of tearing down the idols in our heart that we won't tear down ourselves. He's in the business of, this is an unfortunate truth. He's in the business of exposing sin. Why? Because he wants to build you into something glorious, the image of his son. And he will not stand by as a God, a jealous God. He will not stand by and let you ruin your life. He just won't. So he'll expose sin, whether that's through relationships, um, whether that's through problems at work, whether it's through problems in the church, whatever it is, he's in the business of exposing your sin. Here's the, here's the, and here's a good truth for you. Here's an encouraging truth. He does it in the, the most gentle way as, as, as he possibly can. God could be so much more not gentle with us, and he's very gentle with his children. So um, that's something to be encouraged about. But God, for us, for me, for you, he is more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. And he is in the business of exposing the idols of your heart. And I was reading, um, I read this three years ago, and I, I literally was like, ooh, that's not good. Um, this is a definition of idolatry from one of, uh, of a preacher that I was listening to. He says, an idol is anything or anyone you conclude in your heart you must have an order for your life to be meaningful, valuable, secure, exciting, or free. I was like, oh man, that's like my, my whole life. Um, so anything that you think, anybody or anything in your life that you deem in your heart, I have to have this or my life will not be meaningful, my life will not be valuable, it will not be secure, it will not be exciting, it will not be free. And so I was thinking through 
That was like pretty much my whole life. And so I'm thinking through like, God, what are, what are some idols? And he began to reveal things like reputation. And for some of you, reputation is an idol. Some of you, you will, do, you will scratch and claw your way to maintaining a pristine reputation because that is a good thing, but it is a secondary thing, and you have made it a primary thing. And a lot of us men, we do this. We, we want people to think well of us. So um, we, any, and this is how it shows itself. This is a manifest itself. Somebody, um, maybe your spouse or a friend says, hey, I don't, you just, you handled that the wrong way and we get defensive. And when you get defensive, it should be a red flag. It's a red flag in my heart. It's a red flag in my life. When I get defensive, it's because somebody is attacking Something I've put on a throne that shouldn't be there, and, I, and I, it's, it's my defense mechanism of, no, that, that's mine. I'm not wrong here. I'm not getting angry. I'm just being um, concerned for whatever. So your reputation, this could look like this, your kids, your students. Some of us, and I, I see this happen a lot, the, the pressures we put on our kids and our students um, under the disguise of I want the best for them, which I think we all do. We want the best for our kids and students. But under that, deep underneath that is I want my parenting to be validated. I want to be known as the parent with the best kids. I want my kids uh, to be awesome. So when somebody, when, when they have a problem at school, you react, to, you react on your kids. You get angry and, it's, and you tell them, hey, listen, this is because I'm, I'm concerned for you, which you are, but a lot of it has to do with our own idols, our own reputations at stake. Hey, what, is, what, what are people going to think of me if my kid's the one at school known for that? And so we, we, we parent out of that. We react out of that. Some of it, men, is our jobs. Some of our jobs... Um, there's a concern like, man, I want to do my best. Obviously, we, we're, and most of us are really good at what we do, and you want to do your best. But if there's any threat of your job being taken away or job loss or you not being the best at your job, it's not because you're necessarily concerned for the well-being of your family. Deep down inside, it's because this is who I am. This job title is who I am, and I will protect it. And it's a scary thing to have these idle. There's there's your sin, as it manifests itself in your life, there's fruits of your sin, which is things you see, and then there's root issues of all our sin, which we don't see, and we have to dig a little farther, dig a little deeper to get to it. Mom, some of this, some, sometimes this is in, comes in the form of your home or your kids or how you look in the PTA meeting, and you will put so much pressure and... Um, you, you, it will, uh, sorry, I'm thinking of the word here. It will manifest itself in anger towards your kids and your OCD of the, of the clean house. I mean, it, it has to be because it's a reflection on you. And if it's anything but that, if it's anything but perfect, if it's, and if it's anything that's bad, we're going we're gonna to just, we're going to grab onto that, hold on to that. Um, it's, it manifests itself in our church and our volunteers. Um, not volunteer, and our volunteering uh, in the church, it's because we want people to know, hey, they're always here. They're serving the church. They're building the church of God. And, so, and some of it's good. And I was a volunteer before I came on staff. I, this is my first um, job in ministry. 
So I volunteered my entire life. I've been in volunteer work, and I know it manifests. I want people to think well of me in my church community because I need to be looked at as a good man, a good human being, a, a good kid, a good person. And students, some of this, some of our obedience is not because uh, we necessarily want to obey our parents. It's because we want our parents to be okay with us. We want the people, our friends to go, oh, that, that's a good kid. Or our friend's parents, that's a good kid. That was a good, big concern for me was I want my friend's parents to think well of me. I'm a people pleaser. This is not a good thing. I'm a people pleaser. So the idols in my heart have been exposed over the past three years. And I'll tell you how this has been, ex- been exposed. Um, the gospel speaks right into this. And we hear the gospel. We, we believe in Jesus. But how does Jesus dying on the cross 2,000 years ago have anything to do with me today? How does Jesus dying on the cross 2,000 years ago have anything to say about my sin today or my idols that have been exposed? Some of our marriages will come into church and look amazing. Um, and we don't want anybody to know that there is strife behind closed doors. We don't want any of our friends to know because that's embarrassing. We don't want anybody to know that our lives are not perfect. And when this happens, when something does leak out or some, a friend of yours, a close friend of yours says, hey, is something going on? We get defensive, we get angry because it feels like, and it feels like the skin is being ripped off our bones when our sin is exposed and our hearts are exposed before God and people. And when that happens, it's a sure sign to me that I'm not believing the gospel for what it is. And this happened two days ago for me. Uh, a friend of mine um, calls me, just basically calls me up and says, hey, I, um, I just want to ask you about something. And I immediately, it was something I had said, and immediately I got defensive. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I would, me? No. Um, and if I say anything, it's, I'm a talker, so I probably say way more than I should. And I say a lot of dumb things in my life. But, so I should be free to admit that, but I'm not because it exposes, I want this person to think well of me. And what, what will happen? I can't control what that person now thinks of me. Because now they see a, a dark spot in my heart. They see a dark spot in my life. I can't control what they think about me. And some of, some of our lives is control. We want to control everything that everybody ever thinks of us. I was talking to uh, Mike Wittig. He's my boss. I was talking to him about this the other day. I said, I don't really think I want to know what people say about me. Um, it's probably not a good thing. Uh, but the, the, the question is not whether you're a failure. It's how you react to failure. We're all failures. We know that. How do we react to failure and um, do, does it feel like the skin's being ripped off our bones when our sin is exposed and our idols are exposed? Our, height, our hearts are idols factories. And things pop up. God, over the course of your life, even when you're 85, he'll reveal idols in your heart because he is concerned about your sanctification. And he says, I want to make you into the image of my son. And the gospel is not a gospel just for salvation. We believe... Here's, here's, our, here's our struggles at church. We believe the gospel for our past. He forgives us of our sin. Then we believe the gospel for our future because he's holding us a place in heaven and we're going to be with him in eternity. But we forget the gospel in the present. And the gospel is as alive in the present as it was in the past 2,000 years ago. And it's alive now just as it will be in your future in heaven with Jesus. And... Um, so Pastor Steve said this last week, 
we, we move through our life and we begin to think, well, grace saved me. Grace will hold me. But now I'm going to sustain my grace all the way through. No, grace sustains you all the way through. And it's only Jesus that sustains you all the way through. And verse 13, I'm going to go to verse 13 real quick, back to verse 13. We read verse 12. Um, and the same man that revealed David's sin in his heart, he reveals the sin in his heart and he lets David respond. He says, and David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And what does that look like for me and you? Some of us, it's hard to say those words. Some of us say it. Some, for some of us, it's very hard to admit to God and others that we've sinned against them. And I would ask you, as you move into your week, what would it look like for you as a friend, as a spouse, as a relative, as a parent, as a student, to, towards God? God, I have sinned against you. And maybe even going to a person that you have sinned against and saying, I've sinned against you. Maybe it's students looking at your parents saying, hey, I've sinned against you. I've not treated you well. And the power and the freedom those words bring of just admitting your wrong or admitting your failure before people and before God is very freeing. And the gospel is about freedom. Jesus is about freedom. Some of us, some of us parents need to look at our kids this afternoon and say, hey, I've sinned against you. I've reacted in anger against you. I've put a lot of pressure on you. That's not right. And that's because I'm concerned about something that's going on in my heart and it's manifested itself in anger in your life. Or some of you need to confess to your boss, I've sinned against you in this way. And the freedom that brings um, is a freedom God wants in your life. And he's not, here's, here's the, um, here, I'll read the finish the verse, sorry. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And this is what David, that's all he says. And Nathan says to David, the Lord has also put away your sin and you shall not die. And here's the amazing, this is the gospel. Nathan, the same man that exposed the sin to David, is the same man that preaches the gospel to him. And he says, hey, listen, God has seen your sin and you have committed two sins worthy of death. In the Levitical law, if you commit adultery, you're dead. If you kill somebody, you're dead. David did both. He should have died twice. And God says, I have seen your sin. I'm gonna put away your sin and you will not die. And those, those, words don't act, th- those words don't just mean for David. They echo down the halls of eternity. They echo through your hearts because God has seen your heart. He's seen your sin and our sin is worthy of death. That's the gospel. And he says, you know what? I've seen your sin and I've put it away and you're not gonna die because we all deserve death. How is this possible? Because Jesus 2,000 years ago lived a perfect life because you couldn't live a perfect life. He died a, like a defeated death, the death that you and I are supposed to experience. And he rose in a glorious resurrection, defeating death because of what God did for us at the cross. And the beauty of the gospel is this. It is okay not to be okay. You can admit to God and you can admit to others, I am not okay. And when somebody calls out the sin in your life, it's okay to say, you know what? I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God in this. Can I have your forgiveness? Why? Because God is a God that is not, when he exposes idols, he's not a God that is trying to ruin your life. He's not a God that is trying to tear out the good things in your life. He's a God that wants to take the ruin in your life and the wreckage in your life, and he wants to restore it. Because that's the kind of God he is. He's saying, you know what? When I reveal idols, it's because I want to tear that away and build something more glorious in its place. 
And he's a God that the mess we make, our hearts are so bent towards messiness. We sing a song, This is Amazing Grace, uh, by Phil Wickham, and he has a line in there that says, he brings our chaos back into order. And that's like one of my favorite uh, lines of any song because he does. My life is, I, I, perp, like, I make decisions, my sinful decisions I make towards chaos in my life, towards messiness, towards brokenness. And God says, I'm your father and I'm not going to let that happen. So I'm a good God and I'm for you. So I'm all, God is all about taking your mess and making it his masterpiece. And that's, that's the kind of God we serve because he says, you live a life of brokenness and darkness and I, w- I want to deliver you from that. So to, as an encouragement going into this week, your ability to ruin your life is very great. <laughs> like we make decisions like, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to, ru- we, our hearts are just bent towards ruin. That's just the basic facts of it. And God, God's ability to redeem your life and redeem your sin is greater than your ability to ruin it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. He's going to save you. He's going to keep you. He didn't just save you and leave you to walk this life alone. He said, you know what? I am going to uh, save you. I'm going to sustain you and I'm going to keep you and my grace sustains you. And we sing songs like that, but does it really sink in that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to admit my brokenness, admit my sin because God has put away my sin. I'm not going to die. And the transforming grace of sanctification, he's going to walk with me through and he's going to give me the best things in life. Even when I purposely try to put uh, secondary things into a primary spot, he's going to tear those down and put himself back there. And I'm going to end with this. Um, I was in South Carolina. I came from, I moved here from South Carolina about a year and a half ago. And um, I went down to South Carolina two weeks ago. And my two best friends in the world live in uh, Greenville. And so we were hanging out. And Sunday night, I was leaving Monday morning. We were just hanging out. And um, I was sitting, the Ryan and, and Joe. And uh, Ryan just asked us the question. He said, how are you guys doing? How's your heart doing? And so we just began to share as good friends. We've been friends for the last five years. We're in uh, college and college ministry together. And um, my Ryan shares, I share. My friend Joe is, was a massive instrument of change in my life. He believed the gospel for me when I didn't believe it for myself. And he believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And he's been a huge part of my walk with Jesus. And he just confesses to us. He says, you know what? Over the past year, um, just, just so you know, his story, um, he was abused as a, a boy by his brother. And because of that sin done against him, he, now, he, he struggled his whole life with the, uh, the sin of being a tr- like just homosexuality and pursuing males and relationships that, that are not God-honoring. And that, that was his thing, and God freed him from that and set him free. And he walked, he, he walked in freedom from that for years. And um, that's when I met Joe. And just he was a huge part of my life. And he just confessed that. He said, over the past year, I just, I don't know. I've lost, I've lost sight of the good things God has given me. I've begun to pursue these relationships again. I've, be, I've fallen back into this sin. And he said, the sad thing is I don't have any emotion about it. He said, I don't, I don't for good or for bad, I just don't have emotion about it. I'm not, I'm not mad about it. I'm not sad about it. I'm not even happy about it. It's just, it's just what it is. It is. And he said, I don't know if that's God just, like, just giving me up. You know, like it talks about in Romans 1, it's going to give them up to whatever the sin they want to pursue. And 
just a real, real heavy conversation with your best friend on the planet earth. And, um, because of that, I was, we were, we were talking and I had a, I had a moment of clarity and I was able to speak grace over his life and the same grace can be spoken over your life. Um, I said, Joe, God's not going to let you go because God's pursuit of you and God's love for you was never dependent on whether you performed well for God or not. And God's love for you and his sanctification for you and his, his pursuit of your heart has always been dependent on what Jesus has done at the cross for you. And that doesn't change, your performance doesn't change one thing about God's love for you. And so I think in 15 years, if you, it doesn't matter what life path you pursue, in 15 years, know this, I'll still love you. And every morning God will wake up and pursue your heart. Why? Because you're a child of God. And because God's love for you does not depend on your performance. And the beauty of the gospel in your life, Cedar Lake, the beauty of the gospel in your family is God will pursue your family. He will pursue your heart. Students, he will pursue your heart because of his love for you and the victory that Jesus won at the cross, not because of your performance. So you cannot out God. And he will, he will save you. He will sustain you and he will keep you because that's the kind of God he is. And so as we go this week, I wonder what it looks like for us just to confess to each other and our hearts and our own lives, hey, listen, I'm not okay, and that's okay. But you know why that's okay? I'm free to lose because Jesus won for me. I am free to be weak because Jesus was strong for me. I am free to be a no one. Some of us are so concerned about being a someone. We are free to be no ones because Jesus was a someone for us. And as we go this week, if you believe the gospel for yourself, uh, it's a scandalous grace that says, God's love for me is not dependent on my performance. And that will free you to live a life radically for Jesus. It will free your life to love your family well. It will free your life just to be giving, a self-giving person, because Jesus has given everything for us. Let's pray. Dad, thank you so much for um, the gospel. Thank you so much for uh, setting us free, even though my heart, ran from you and is still running from you. You still pursue it every day. Thank you for the grace um, that you have given us in your son, Jesus. Thank you for winning at the cross because you knew we'd lose and we lost before you even sat there. And I was reading Ephesians this morning. Thank you for um, thinking of us before the foundations of the world and, and knowing our hearts, knowing what we needed. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for community that is free to uh, live and imperfection with each other and families. Thank you for giving us the gift of families. And pray that as this week we go and remember the gospel and preach the gospel to ourselves and preach the gospel to um, those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.